This is exactly right. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hi, everybody. Welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm Kara Clank. And I'm Lisa Traeger. And you get the drill. This is our podcast where we talk about an episode of SVU, the true crime it's based on, and then we interview an actor from the show. Lisa, what's going on? How are you? Um, I'm pretty good. I feel like my hair is the longest it's been in a while. <laughs> <laughs> I'm almost covering my tits with it, which has been my goal for probably a decade. Wow. Yeah, very um, splash. Yeah, I want to take a a sexual photo shoot one day with my hair covering my boobs. <laughs> nice. Um, thank you everybody for listening and rating and reviewing us and everything. And we got a lot of great feedback about porn stars Requiem. We also got an amazing tip from somebody that we know on the inside at the SVU production. Okay. So the guy who's doing the voice, uh, coaching Evie through this audition, quote unquote, is actually the SVU casting director, Jonathan Strauss. He does casting for a lot of other Dick Wolf shows, but he is the main casting director for SVU and I think always has been. I recognize his name from the credits. And who better to do uh, the voice of a casting director, even for a possibly shady website, than the casting director in real life? Um, I wonder if this is the casting director that I bombed in front of. I wonder if he remembers my terrible audition or not. <laughs> Jonathan? <laughs> Jonathan right in. Um, and people are sending us a lot of info about organized crime as well. People are like, we need to run through like what we know so far. We don't, we know what you know, really. Like we don't have any inside info on what's going on with organized crime. They just added Dylan McDermott to the cast. They've got obviously Christopher Maloney. Mariska's probably going to pop in. Well, and the like, it seems like SVU fans or Law & Order fans are like detectives in their own right. So they're, through their detective work, they're kind of spoiling the what might happen or not. They're like, they were shooting here. That means this. We saw the trailers. The trailer didn't have this person. So this person must be dead. <laughs> it's like, you guys are wild. You should be like fortune tellers helping the police departments because they're just on top of it. But I don't want to know these things. But I think they're right. I also want to say uh, people have written to us about Mariska hosting SNL. It is a dream of hers. And I think we all need to band together and make this happen. Also with the internet news um, there, I had a big event happen this week. Where... Oh my God. <laughs> we can't not talk about this. Oh my God. If you follow us on Instagram or Twitter, you kind of know what happened. I was quote retweeted by Ice-T and I awoke and the, what was fun is I had texts and tweets from other people going, can't wait for you to wake up. Can't wait till you're <laughs> awake. Everyone knows I like to sleep in. And so I was like, what's going on? And then I went on Twitter immediately and um, Ice-T responded, what's in the bowl, Bart? Um, that's a Simpsons thing. Sorry. But, you know, my favorite gif that I use so much is Ice-T dancing with a bowl. And I knew it was cereal. I wanted to know his favorite cereal. He did within the thread um, admit Frosted Flakes are his favorite. Oh, he did? Yeah. I didn't even know he responded. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Not and Carisi's me. in the thread responding. It's a it's a who's who. Yeah. Carisi's like, I know what's in the bowl. And I'm like, is this a weed joke? What is going on here? <laughs> I want to smoke weed with all of you. Um, but lots of people were writing. And then international people were shitting 
shitting on cereal and like America cereal suck. It's just sugar. And he's like, damn, even cereal has haters. And so like <laughs> it was just I mean, I probably spent 15 hours on my phone. I, I couldn't stop. And then a lot of people on my Instagram, I wrote like this is a big day. And they're like, this is a big day for us, for all of us, <laughs> for all like, of us. <laughs> it was uh, very, very thrilling. Oh, the internet gives us so many gifts. Yeah, and it just brings us like closer and closer to meet them, I feel. Or I'm just delusional. I mean, this, it's yeah. like when you have a crush and you're like, oh, they liked this thing or they watched this story. And it's like, it truly means nothing. But it inflates you and your phone is listening. So they know who you're talking about. And then they'll just show you. I mean, I just have a problem with phone addiction. <laughs> we also, um, the internet can also bring you some more uh, glorious tidings in that we have just launched our official that's messed up merch which you can get now on the internet we're so excited we have hoodies tank tops mugs tumblers an enamel pin everything that you would need to show that you love svu as much as we do so if you guys are interested in any of our merch please go to exactlyrightmedia.com and just go to the shop button and go to the that's messed up little shoppy shop and go buy yourself something cute. Valentine's Day is coming up. And a lot of the stuff is hot pink. We really wanted hot pink. And then we also wanted to use the colors from the show art, obviously. But it was cool being able to choose and pick and make everything. Yeah. And I can't wait. And a reminder that all of our show art and the art that is on our merch is from Carly Jean Andrews. You should follow her on Instagram. She is a queen and so talented also for our next merch drops if you guys have any suggestions of any quotes or sayings that you enjoy from us maybe let us know so we can think about that um also learn our fucking voices what's wrong with all of you um i, we, I know i don't know what to do we're gonna try to go on insta live or put out videos like we want you to know who's who and i can't believe it's so hard i don't know I guess we're just two Jewy gals. Maybe I think we have to see each other's names more, Lisa. Oh, okay. That's a great idea, Kara. <laughs> <laughs> done and done. Yeah. That's it. You got it. You should get it now. And then we're not going to ruin anything. No spoilers ahead in any way. But we both have seen Promising Young Woman. Oh, yeah. Excellent movie. Go out and watch it. I mean, stay in and watch it is what I mean. <laughs> Order it on like Apple or Amazon or wherever it is. It is so good. It covers the same themes, I would say, as SVU. But it's so but smart. But I went into it knowing nothing about it. Oh. I knew nothing. So I think you should go into it knowing nothing. It's really, really good and fun. Oh, I watched the trailer like seven times over and over. I could not wait for this movie to come out. And not only is it so smart, but... Visually, it's stunning. The acting, the casting, the line. I mean, every single thing I thought was beyond. And I don't want to like hype it up. And then you're like, what a lying bitch. But I was <laughs> blown away by this movie to the point where it stopped and I started it over again immediately and watched it twice. Which I've only done twice in my life. Once for Sound of Music and the other for Sense and Sensibility in the theaters. <laughs> Wait, those are not good. Really? I've watched them both back to back because I love them so much. You know, we're different people. Lisa. But when you're a kid, it's different. As a kid, you just watch things over and over. It's like your yeah. brain can't take new information yeah. or something. But I watched Big Business so much that the, the VHS tape ripped. And then I was heartbroken. <laughs> you wore it out. And then for the holiday season, I have a video of me getting the Big Business tape and jumping up and down with joy. And it's just like... 
how times have changed. That one VHS tape, I was jumping. I couldn't contain my emotions. No, big business is a classic in both of our lives, for sure. Kara, did you know my great uncle wrote The Sound of Music? No. no I didn't, Hannah, but I'm not surprised. You have a connection to everything we've ever talked about. Every so guest not, we that's have. That's not surprising. Every guest, Hannah's like, oh, by the way, my grandfather? Oh, my cousin? <laughs> you knew my best friend? <laughs> so let's get started. I, we've got a great episode for you guys, and we can't wait to get going. All right. All right. So this episode, I already forgot what it's called. No, Lost I, Traveler. I, I remember. It was a trick. It was a trick. <laughs> called Lost Traveler. It's, epi- um, it's season 13, episode nine. Yeah. And we have a lot of um, amazing guest stars in this one. It is a, uh, we have a bad cop. This is yeah, a, a nice classic, a good but in the future, you know, we don't have a stabler. All right. So we open up on this mom and little kid and... She does say that Jews and Gentiles don't care about their children. <laughs> so we know there's some problems happening. Um, and say that what they are. They're Romani. They're Romani. And then the whole episode, everyone does keep calling them gypsies and everyone hates gypsies. We're not going to continue using yeah. that word, but we need you to know there is a full on ethnic and race war happening <laughs> in Brooklyn. They're definitely considered very other because they're Romani and like, it's funny that she's lumping Jews in with the Gentiles. Yeah. Cause they don't, no one likes the Jews either. We're like our own thing. But maybe the Jews, because they need someone to hate, they hate them. I don't know. Well, we'll get into it with the real crime, I think. Yeah, for sure. But I never was raised to not like gypsies. No. Again, I I said it. We shouldn't. Yeah. But when we grew up, that's what they were called. And we, I never, well, I didn't know anything. Well, the thing that's weird about how we're not supposed to say it is I on TLC, the, that channel. Yeah, they have a show. They watch My Big Fat Gypsy still Wedding. on. Yeah. Call My Big Fat Gypsy Wedding. Like, they still play it. And I really don't like the traditional gender roles in that community. There's a lot of, because they make the girls be sluts at dances. Oh. But then they can't fuck. But then they're supposed to have children as teens. It's like a really twisted. Yeah, yeah. But their dresses are really big. And then they had a spinoff of The Dressmaker. The dressmaker (laughs) from the weddings, whatever. So we're going to have some problems here. So the mom, um, we learned that the boy, who is, I think, too young, but fourth grade, and he's going to go to school for the first time all alone, which I grew up in the suburbs, doesn't seem like a big deal. He has to take the G train from Greenpoint. To the J train. To the J, which I've maybe taken the J train twice. I've lived in New York for six years. I lived. And then go to the Lower East Side to school and come on back. Yeah. But they practice for a whole week. The mom is nervous, but they have a plan. He has a cell phone and he has a rabbit's foot for good luck. And then we see a man in a brown leather jacket following him. So we're like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. It's his father. Just testing him. Cute little twist. And it's a cute dad. So it does like help us relax a little bit. And he has little mittens. He's just like super, super cute. He does make it to school. The teacher, again, overly involved. Like, hey. (laughs) teacher knows everyone. (laughs) Yeah. He's like a cool dork. Um. And then we're at school and people are mean to him. And yeah, it seems they're like older kids. for being Romani. Yeah. So, so like, doesn't your mom tell fortunes? Yeah. Yeah. Which I, if I had a friend with a four, like if I knew someone's mom was a fortune teller, I'd be like, amazing. Let me Can come we get in there. <laughs> yeah. My family is very secretive, so we don't discuss things openly. But I learned recently that my grandmother in Russia was um, a fortune teller type woman. Ooh. And people, she never accepted money, but people would bring food because it was the Soviet Union. <laughs> um, and she never said no. And she was like very mystical. And I do feel connected to her because I never met her. Yeah. 
So I like knowing that. That's cool. So whatever. We have two teen bitches. We have a couple guys. And one of the teen bitches is Lily Reinhart. Yeah. The most famous teen. uh, Yeah. She's in Riverdale. Famous teen. Yeah. She's she's probably in her (laughs) twenties, but she's like a famous teen, like in the teen genre of, of television. So, you know, we see, um, him get bullied. School is over. We see him walk. Dun, dun, dun. There's yellow caution tape on the train. Um, what is it? Train entrance. Yeah, yeah. Where he wanted to go in. So now he's confused. He does get his cell phone out. Then we just see, we see him and then we see cars pass and then he's not there anymore. Yeah. And it's so scary. But also in the background, you see the bar, the Triple Crown, where I used to actually do improv in the basement. So I don't know what is more tragic <laughs> in the scene, the child going missing or me having to relive that. But yeah, so that actually where they shot that is in Midtown near Penn Station, but it was supposed to be Lower, Lower Manhattan. Yeah. yeah, they play games like this all the yeah. time. Sex in the City games. Yeah, yeah. Then we have a bad boy cop. All right. You know, he's just like, what are these gypsies? up? You know, like he yeah. doesn't care. He's like, fuck this kid. Fuck this hood. Like, it's like, why are you an officer of the law? Yeah. I just don't understand what's happening. Um, actually, I do exactly. But what's amazing about this guy is I used to watch the show Oz. And that was an HBO prison show. And I did watch it as a child. And my parents um, should have been. They should have <laughs> intervened. Have happened. I actually have a funny story. I worked with a guy who was a regular on Oz yeah. in a different um, show. And he told me a tidbit that if you came to set late, they would write in a rape scene to punish you. Oh, my God. So everyone was showing up on time. Now, I, me and my friend Mateo Lane, he's a comedian. Um, we're in Cleveland, Ohio or Cincinnati, whatever, somewhere in Ohio doing morning press for our tour. And on morning news in Ohio, I decide to say that story. No. <laughs> because I think it's a funny tidbit. The like the hosts of the morning show, they turn red, their jaws drop. Like everyone on set is so <laughs> mad. Because I just said rape on morning television as a funny story. And so the whole production is silent and they don't know what to do and they have to get out of it. And then Mateo can't handle it. So Mateo just is laughing and laughing. I'm like, I thought this was funny. And they're like, it's a morning news in, in Ohio. <laughs> but anyway, oh so, my God, that's amazing. But Oz is one of my favorite shows. And I see the guy who's playing the cop. This is where you do better than me, Kara. You write the actor's names down. I just have nothing. But he is the blonde guy. And he played Dean Winters, who's obviously an SVU favorite. Yeah. He's Mayhem. If you don't know, he was um, Tina Fey's boyfriend in 30 Rock. I, I'm a big, I'm a huge Dean Winters fan. Yeah. So I go, oh, this actor was Dean Winters' brother in, there are like Irish the O'Malley's or O'Reilly's or something in Oz. And you look it up, they're brothers in real life. Yeah. Scott William Winters. Yeah. Yeah. All these years I've been watching Oz since junior high and I didn't know they were related. Yeah. So and he's I, this guy named Doom that they call him. His name is Robert Doom Dumas. And he's, I guess, been in a few episodes. Yeah. He goes, These people, the kid isn't yeah, missing. This is horrible. a cop. This is just a cop. There's also, by the way, a mob outside. Like the kid's been missing for a few hours. There's already press. There's a mob. And I'm like, I know that they do consider themselves like more of a distant franchise group the Romany but like that is that's white kid missing reaction I think Mm -hmm. like I think people are always like why aren't they showing up when black and brown kids go missing you know and they are in this episode like there's a full press court like yeah but I think the press is like who cares (laughs) like no but that's like the vibe we get yeah you know they're they're not taking it as as um and we have Amaro and Benson at the moment if you're wondering who our detectives Mm -hmm. are you know, they explained to the cops, like, we practiced all week. Um, we saved our money. We took them to the, 
to this far school. The teacher saw him, you know, and they're talking about how this kid is caught in between two worlds. That's like what the teacher slash principal is mm-hmm. like a dorky guy. So there's no witnesses, no leads. And so they start checking in with the sexual registry in the neighborhood to see if any pedophiles were involved. But they also mention that there's this man in the neighborhood named the Rombaro who they'd have they've stopped paying tides to. Yeah. And that's the king of the Romani. Yeah. And basically he, you know, well, this is another insulting thing. They're like, you know, where these people live. And they named a bunch of countries. They're like one of the stands or yeah, Estonia yeah, yeah. or Lithuania or whatever. So the Rambani in New York is like the <laughs> Rambaro. <laughs> The Rombaro is like the connector of the Romani community in America to their community yeah. in Europe. Yeah. And you have to pay tithes like this is fucking Robin Hood. Well, it's also kind of like the, what the mafia would do. The mob would like make you pay like a monthly advance to like make sure your store doesn't get robbed or make sure you're, you know. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's like what the whole movie The Kitchen, which is a terrible movie, is about. Well, because it's what a great cast. I was so sad. Yeah. It's a bad movie. We yeah. got Tiffany Haddish, Elizabeth Moss and Miss Melissa McCarthy. McCarthy. And it's it, bad. I just yeah yeah it went in and out but yeah like the that's a that's like a mob thing so it's like they stopped paying their tides so they could send nico to this school in manhattan and the mom is like furious at the dad being like yeah the mom is like everyone is scared of this guy but you decide not to fucking pay your tithes right and guess who plays the rambaro say his name hector salamanca baby from breaking bad he's the old man with the little bell in the desert yeah um, so that was thrilling I to love see him. him. Yeah. He, he makes me scared even to see it. Like, I mean, he's like, he's got a really like a presence of, I of mean, menace. You're dead on with that because even like with a little bell in a wheelchair, I he was, was scary. Still like he's going to do something bad. He still scared me even when he was like paralyzed. Yeah. Yeah. He is, um, an amazing actor. So he's like, I wrote the bell guy from breaking bad. So that's what <laughs> I'll be calling him. So Emmy he's nominated Emmy nominated for that role. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I wish you won. <laughs> um, so anyways, he says that the family doesn't associate with us anymore. They don't get our, prote- if they don't want our protection, they don't get our fucking protection. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're, but he says that he would never hurt a child. And a part of me believes him. I don't know if that's stupid. So the grays are outcasts. So that sucks for them. This family, they're outcasts in America, secular culture. Mm-hmm. And then they're also um, outcasts in the Romani community. So they're just like full on. But the, so the dad now runs outside and he goes, he's alive. He's alive. And we're like, what's going on? So basically they keep calling Nico's um, cell phone and the messages were full. And now the messages aren't full. So we're like, the he's, they're like, our son is listening to these messages he is alive and deleting them yeah and then we get the surprise of a lifetime gilbert godfrey yeah <laughs> couldn't believe it um and his voice less annoying than no- normal right he really he worked toned on it down it. a little bit yeah he's not iago level yeah <laughs> <laughs> he's not bringing us full iago but no. yeah he's an it guy he he's on two episodes total of svu as this character who's like an it guy yeah and there's a lot of information we got an ip he, address yeah, a laptop we get gilbert boom, 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 going now we do this and then we do this and he goes through like a full plan and he's doing so much exposition and i'm like okay gilbert yeah just get us to where we need to be (laughs) basically where we need to be is a chinese restaurant i guess the something with the ip address of the cell phone is ordering chinese food so they go to this chinese restaurant and the worker at the chinese restaurant is an svu alum of a different episode where she plays the parent of a killer because yes who like cuts off legs so we'll i think we'll probably handle that one one day but so we have a you know an svu 
Legend. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Legend. Yeah. We don't no, know her name or what character. I forgot her episodes. name, but we'll be talking about her later. Legend. <laughs> <laughs> so they go to this. Um, she said that she did hear a kid crying in the background when they ordered the food. Yeah. No, they com- they called to complain. Yeah. The food was too spicy. The kid was crying. The food's too spicy. So SVU's like ears perk up because they're like, this guy has a kid. Like, you know. So he's they go Nico. and they grab this guy, British accent guy. We find out he's a journalist and that he's trying to help. He's deleting these messages to help. I don't he's even hacked know. in. Yeah. He to the messages. In. Yeah. The lawyer of the journalist is the guy from Sex in the City that worked at Vogue that made a pass at Carrie. <laughs> For all our dual listeners, that's the actor, is the lawyer of the journalist. And basically, yeah, the journalist is hacking shit. Um, and he thought deleting the messages would leave room for people to help reach to, the yeah, boy. to get information. Yeah. Cabot wants the guy's notes. And, you know, journalists like their freedom. So the journalist doesn't want to give the notes and Cabot's like, give me the notes. And so some tall man DA is there. Cabot, the lawyer, they're all fighting. The boy is missing. Let's help them. Um, so we see that the deleted messages were all from the parents. The parents do not know where the boy is. Um, so they don't know if it's an inside job. They asked the feds to hear what's next. He hacked into other things. What is happening? So Basically, what we figure out, I don't know with what evidence, it's kind of all a blur to me with all the tech talk, but they show up at this like witchy woman's house. And basically, they're saying that her son, Marco, Mark, Mark, that he's done something. So we discover that she has a son who has special needs that she has locked in a basement. He's also a large guy. He's a little bit bigger. So I think they're worried that, you know, he could have maybe hurt someone not knowing what he was doing. Also, like, no matter what your kid is like, when do we learn that you just lock a kid in a basement? (laughs) Yeah, it's not in any parenting books I've read. But the night before, we learned that he was shuffled into a handicap van in the middle of the night and taken away. So... They go to some encampment where a lot of uh, Romani people, Romani live, people yeah. live and they see him. He starts running. They get him. They investigate. So Rollins and Amaro talk to him. The mom told him, don't talk to cops. She's going to be pissed that he's talking to cops. They're like, um, Nico, mom is sad. You need to help us. He goes, I saw Nico on Monday and he doesn't go anywhere without his mom. He can't have people over. So like, what's going on? The bellboy man, he shows up, the Rambaro, and he's also a lawyer. He goes, shut your fucking mouth and stop. Okay, so then the cops talk to these two popular girls from earlier and they're letting us know like we're scared of Mark. Mark's a freak. Mark's dangerous. We see him smoking on his roof all the Mm -hmm. time. Like they also say that they saw Mark with the rabbit foot. So they saw Nico's rabbit foot with Marco. So then they get a warrant to go into Marco's room. Mark's room. (laughs) (laughs) And honestly, they do keep him in the basement, but he's in a room with like a TV and like a bed. It's like a nice room, even though he's locked down there. I mean, it's not good. I'm just saying, I don't want people to think Boo Radley. Yeah. I don't want people to think he's chained to a wall. He's like in his room with computer and like playing games. And he's like, this is my room. Get out of here. And then they find, so they find a garbage uh, donut bag from near Nico's school in his garbage. Mm -hmm. And they also end up finding the rabbit's foot underneath the mattress princess in the peace style, just like right in the middle of the bed, which, you know, I, I don't know. And they also find an MTA card. So they're going to obviously investigate where the MTA card was swiped. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Cut to, they find Nico in a construction site. He is killed. So sad. We kind of knew. But we find out he was killed the night he went missing. He has dozens of cigarette burns. He was tortured. And they do think it's a novice torturer, like not someone that's ex- like experienced in torturing. Because yeah, because the burns... Yeah, they're surface level. The birds aren't going deep. So mm-hmm. it's someone that's like scared to burn, but excited to burn. So the wound shows uh, like he peed. He was so scared. Um, and then he was strangled to death with a scarf. So, uh, you know, the parents are going to blame themselves forever. And that's what I kept thinking of. Like, mm-hmm. they're going to be like, we shouldn't have let him go to school alone. What were we thinking? And so the mom is saying, no, it's not my son. It's not my son. When she has to identify the yeah, body. Yeah, that's really a sad ide- body identification. Because she's just like, that's not his face, but it's because he's not alive. Yeah. God. (laughs) Oh, my God. So the parents are mad that they haven't charged Marco. And they're also mad that people keep... (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) They also are mad that people keep saying the name Nico because in their culture, they believe that his spirit cannot rest if we keep saying his name. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, shut the... So they're so mad at the cops. So they're like, stop saying his name. His spirit will not rest. So then they leave Nico's house and the two popular girls show up again with flowers. And at this point, I'm suspicious. Mm-hmm. This is where I get suspicious. Um, they come with flowers. They're planting a tree and getting a collection together. So they start talking about Mark. But the what we learn is Mark's DNA is not on the cigarette butt and there's no camera evidence. So what's going on? Morrow and Rollins are fighting and they can't agree on what's happening. And then Nadia Gray just tried to set Mark Rajit on fire. Nadia is Nico's mother. Yes. She tries to set Mark on fire because she thinks he's the guy that killed her son but then the cop then dean winter's brother doom says god looks after kids and idiots lucky for him he's both it's like not okay the thing is i love that svu puts these characters (laughs) in because these are our experiences with officers you know they are mean and um whatever i'm not getting into it so i mean we are getting into it nonstop. so what we learn is the mom tried to burn him to get it back, like eye for an eye type style. Mm-hmm. So they're like, wait, how did the mom know that her that there was burning? That wasn't released anywhere. That wasn't right. like who fucking told her that it wasn't in the press. It wasn't anywhere. Um, so they're trying to figure out who told the mom. And then Amaro fucking figures it yeah. out. And he goes, oh, my God, it's the fucking popular girls. They've Courtney been tipping and us. Emma. Yeah. yeah. And Emma's one of my favorite names. And Courtney is an obvious mean girl name. We were on a bachelorette <laughs> party where the number one evil girl was a Courtney kicked out of the wedding subsequently. Yeah. Which is thrilling. My first bachelorette party and a bitch gets kicked out of the wedding party. (laughs) God's on my side. So anyways, Amaro's like these teen girls um, have been tipping us off. They've been following us. They're everywhere that we are. It is these fucking girls. And then they find evidence of the girls on camera um, seeing Nico by the train station. And they said that they didn't see him. So now they know that they're lying. And then they ask the bellman to help. Rambaro. Rambaro. (laughs) They ask Rambaro to help. And he's like, we don't trust the cops. And the cops are like, trust us. So now the Romani and the cops are going to work together to get these little girls. So now they talk to Mark. And so Rambaro. Mark, Mark now gives up the info. Yeah. Rambaro convinces Mark, like the cops will help you. So what he says is Courtney is so pretty. She had a nice dog. Emma's nice. Um, they made him stop watching football. So he knew it was Monday night. So that's like pretty nice skills. Courtney is an amazing liar. So we find out she gave him a hand job. Yeah. And he talks about it weird. He goes, she touched me. And she it felt go, he nice. goes, stuff came out. It felt funny, but nice. I'm like, yeah, that's the gist of a hand job. Like, <laughs> I don't think it should feel funny. Stuff though. comes out. 
feels nice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, but yeah, Amaro's like, <laughs> how do you remember that? And he's like, I got my first hand job. What do you mean? <laughs> a woman made me come. I'll remember yeah. that forever. It was football. <laughs> um, and then, he, you know, uh, Emma starts to cry. So this is my favorite SVU thing where they get one person to sit out in the squad room and then they get the other person in to bring them they in for questioning. They parade them by the other person. So they play them off each other to make it yeah. make them paranoid. Why the fuck is she here? Yeah. So Emma obviously starts crying. She says it was Courtney um, and Courtney's Lily Reinhardt. She goes, you know, we were just playing around with him and then she wouldn't stop. She lit a cigarette. Emma said no. She tried to stop, but it didn't. And he was crying and he was calling to his mom. And we're learning that this is a common thing. And it's so sad. It's also like common that one person goes completely off while the other person just stands there and is like, I don't know how to stop you. I don't know what to do. I feel like we've seen a few episodes like that and read about a few real cases like that. I just can't imagine standing there even as a teen and watching my friend burn a little boy. I really can't. And then, and then choke him to death. Yeah. And I was a follower. You know, I, I wanted Uggs. <laughs> I wanted, I had a choker necklace. It's not like I'm some leader of independence. Right. I, you know, I wanted the same things as everyone. I was a Backstreet Boys fan, but I really don't think I'd watch my friend burn a child. Right. I, who knows? <laughs> I just, I think my parents raised me a little better than watching someone murder someone, whatever. So then because he was calling for his mom, Courtney grabbed his scarf. Emma was yelling, no. And then Courtney said, whatever. He's just another gypsy. No one will miss him. So she's racist as well as being a psychopath. So this is a fucking hate crime. Yeah. So then they come out and they're like, Emma told us everything. You're a dumb bitch. And Courtney goes, stupid little bitch. It was just a joke. We were just fooling around with him. And he started crying and made it look like he wasn't he was going to tell. So I shut him up. So she shocked Mark Snitch. She goes, oh, that's weird. Why did he switch? I gave him so much fun. Like I she gave him could, the only fun he's ever had. Yeah. So she's evil. We could tell, you know, ice in her veins, sociopath forever. There's no helping. And then the dad goes, we should get a lawyer. And she goes, it's a little late for that dad. <laughs> so she also has a sense of humor. Nothing better yeah. than a teen killer with a with a joke. Um, yeah, she's funny as hell. Co- you know, Courtney is cold. Benson asks why. And she says, why not? Evil teen stare that we watch SVU for. Yeah. That's the end of the episode. Yeah, and then, so she's definitely like a sociopath who would have killed again, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you could kill a fourth grade boy with uh, for no reason, when you could kill 14. everyone. I mean, she's 14. Yeah. It's wild. So that's um. That. Yeah, but crazy episode. And, and I know nothing about the crime, so I can't yeah, wait. Yeah, the crime this is based on is um, horrible, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to walk you through it when we get back. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, guys. We missed you. Let's get into the true crime that Lost Traveler is based on. 
So this episode was clearly influenced by the murder of Libby Kletsky in Brooklyn, which happened four months before this episode aired. So, you know, they had the writers just like in the room. So it wasn't over the summer. So it was like a quick turnaround, not yeah. just like, oh, wow, what a coincidence. No, it, okay. it's <laughs> yeah, it's like definitely related. This happened in this crime happened in July. The episode aired in November. So it's like four wow. months difference. Um, and I'm going to get into that case in a second. But I first just wanted to touch briefly on another case that this episode borrowed from. So. So uh, the part about the journalist checking Nico's phone and deleting the messages and erasing them is ripped from the case of Millie Dowler, who was a 13 year old girl in England. She was murdered in 2002 by a serial killer named Levi Belfield, who has confessed to he's confessed to killing her, but he's also denied it. He's like crazy. He's killed um, other girls as well. And he was already in jail for life for other crimes when they um, convicted him. And in 2011, The Guardian reported that Scotland Yard, which is, you know, the police in London, had discovered that various journalists who worked for News of the World and the paper's own private investigator, Glenn Mulcair, had hacked into Millie's voicemail, listened to messages and deleted them, giving her family and authorities the false hope that Millie was still alive, just like they did. And and was it the same? He had the same goal why he was doing it? Yeah, he was he was doing it to get information for the story because it was a hugely sensational story like they were um but this wasn't discovered and for years later like her body was found in 02 and um it wasn't until 2011 that this actually came out but they did it way earlier and later it was discovered actually that her phone automatically deletes messages that have been listened to within 72 hours so they weren't actually deleting them but it's still massively like fucked up that they would be hacking into a missing girl's cell phone and listening to messages it seems like it's also a complete like hindrance of a police investigation as well. I also just realized um, why I know Scotland Yard and it's from 101 Dalmatians. So that's pretty embarrassing. (laughs) I'm like, Kara, yeah, I know that. I was like, that's the police in London. You're like, I know. How else were they going to find those dogs? Um, So this actually was part of a major scandal. So News of the World is owned by Australian slimeball Rupert Murdoch, who is also owns a little propaganda network you may have heard of called Fox News. And they were like known for hacking. They would hack royals, celebrities, politicians like all the time. That's what sucks. Sociopaths win. (laughs) Our society is built for evil, soulless people to win. It's like so fucked up. Yeah. In every career. Yeah. Well, some people did fall from this, but um, you're right. Not enough. So when it was discovered that they had actually hacked this missing and ultimately murdered schoolgirl's phone, and they had also hacked victims of the 2005 London bombing, I think people were like, okay, they've officially gone too far. So everybody, advertisers boycotted, people were freaking out, and um, the whole paper was shut down. News of the World was shut down over this. Yeah. And there were a bunch of like high-profile resignations. I think somebody actually was convicted of something like the editor-in-chief. It's actually a wild story if you feel like poking around the internet. I'm not going to get too much more into it because it is not have to do with SVU, but that's where they borrowed that little section from really kind of insane. But this episode is obviously more heavily based on the murder of an eight-year-old Hasidic Jewish boy in 2011 named Libby Kletsky. Um, I lived in New York City when this happened and it was so terrible. Like I just remember hearing that he was missing and then they found him very quickly and it was just like a very very horrific crime and you just saw the photo everywhere of him in new york on the news with like his little payas because he's like a little hostage like so so cute like innocent little boy and it's you know they just changed the community a little bit but 
the Jews are also like an other. Exactly. In the community. Exactly. They, like, they switched religious. it up, which I think is what's funny about her saying the Jews don't care about their children. And it's like, this is based on a, the crime happening in the Jewish community yeah. at the beginning of the episode. So the crime took place in Brooklyn, um, specifically in Borough Park, which is a huge Jewish population. Some say it's the biggest Jewish population outside of Israel. And Leiby was walking home from a day camp that was at his school. He was by himself for the first time. He and his mother had practiced just like in the show and they practiced the route. They had a predetermined meeting spot. And um, this was very common in this neighborhood. Apparently like the crime rate is very low. A lot of the families have tons of kids. They kind of just let them like go out in the streets together and play. And like they have a lot of independence, the kids. Well, cause no one really goes into the neighborhood. And when um, I lived in Williamsburg and we'd bite or like walk around where it became super religious, like the kids didn't go pet cute dogs. Like they didn't, yeah. they don't really interact with other people, with other people, even on the train or anything. So it, it does create a sense of safety. I feel they do have yeah. a very insular community where they don't interact with me. You know, I'm a, except when it's a Jewish holiday and they're like, are you Jewish? Oh Cause they God. just want to give you they a prayer. They always come out. Uh, it's with the, the lulav and the yeah. lemon. They always are like, are you Jewish? And I always go, no, even though I <laughs> I'm just like, I'm busy. They give away little books and stuff, but they, they are an insular community. So I can understand the illusion of safety. Yeah. And also it was a super short walk. I actually Google mapped it. Like it's was six small blocks and one Avenue. He basically just had to make his way over one Avenue and then walk down six blocks to meet his mom. Unfortunately, he never took that turn. He just kept walking and he walked like five avenues out of the way. So he was supposed to go on to 13th Avenue. He ended up, you know, on this 18th. happened to me when I was a kid. Really? Yeah. I, um, for some reason I forgot my basketball. And so I went back to school. I lived close to the elementary school and I got my basketball out of my lo- like cubby or whatever. But then I walked the other direction. Like I just didn't understand. Yeah. I know I had to walk just straight, but I walked straight the other way and I passed like a giant busy street. And I was like, what is yeah, happening? This wasn't here before. And then when I, the fucking crossing guard finally saw me crossing guard, Pat, she like screamed at me, but it is interesting. Yeah. Like kid brains are dumb. We just yeah. don't know. So to me, all I thought was straight line, but I didn't assess where because he overshot it by like five avenues. That's like a pretty long. And I think he was, there's a lot of video surveillance of him looking like, like disoriented. Like he definitely didn't know where he was. So Libby's mother, Esther first called the borough park Shamrim, which are kind of like police, but they're more like community patrols in Hasidic neighborhoods. New York magazine did like a really amazing piece where they sort of focused on this guy named Yakov German, who he might have been the inspiration for the Rombaro. Like he was definitely like a figure in this community, had a lot of real estate holdings, had 12 kids and had like a defiant personality. Like he had kind of clashed with the Shamrim before. So they were doing all this stuff where they were like, we need, I think the Shamrim was like, we just need to sweep the streets or whatever. And he was like, no, we need to like retrace his steps. Like we need to go back to what happened. So he immediately- Isn't there enough people to do both? Well, right. But this guy specifically went to the school, got the camera footage, then walked on 44th Street like the whole and got camera footage from every business that he could find to get. So he's actually amazing. Yeah. So like, honestly, he helped sort of uh, streamline how quickly they did not contact the police yet, like the NYPD at this point. I think that the search at the beginning is a combination of NYPD and the Shamrim. So they have been contacted okay. that he's missing. But I'll tell you when they kind of bring the police in more. So everyone assumed that Libby had been taken by like an outsider. And it turned out when he missed 13th Avenue, he just walked all the way to 18th Avenue. And that's where he met Levi Aaron, who is another member of the Hasidic community. This man's 35 years old, a supply store clerk who lived less than two miles from the Klutskys. And he had promised to 
give the boy a ride to a Jewish bookstore where he like knew how to get home from there. So that's the thing. It's like everybody assumed it was this outsider, but the re he went up to a guy that he thought he could trust. Mm -hmm. Like he went up to a guy with like a beard and like a yarmulke and like who looked like he could trust him. So he didn't recognize the religious man. He just said, Oh, that's one of my, that's yeah, one of my, peeps. he just said, that's one of my people. That's who like, that's what his parents have taught him. And I think that's what people like ask another Jew. Mm -hmm. So there's video of them chatting. And then there's video of uh, Libby waiting for him for seven minutes while he goes into a dentist's office. And then they get into his Honda Accord or his Honda. I don't actually know if it was a Accord. <laughs> I, I'm editorializing. They got into his like old ass car and then he drives him to a wedding in Monsey, New York, which is like a little hamlet, like an hour and 10 minutes up the Palisades Parkway. That's like a Jewish community. Don't know why nobody at the wedding sees Libby. So he probably left him in the car, but there is a f uh, video surveillance of him at a gas station. And the guy at the gas station said he didn't seem like he was struggling. He didn't seem upset. He just went into the bathroom with the kid. They went in, they peed, they came out. They were in there for like a minute. So the gas station attendant said Libby didn't look scared and he seemed totally fine. Um, they returned to Aaron's apartment in Brooklyn that night and he had planned to return him. Like he really wasn't out for blood. Or Why did he take him to Muncie before taking him home? It's all completely unexplained because so right now everyone is running around looking for this boy and he right. is. Well, so he goes home to Brooklyn the next day. He ties Libby up and leaves him in his apartment all day while he goes to his shift at work. And when he's at his shift at when he goes to work is when he notices the hysteria about everybody looking for him, like posters everywhere of his face. Listen, I understand that he didn't realize the hoopla until the, maybe the next morning but tying a kid in your room is oh, no. not he, None i don't understand sense. well he took him to a wedding no one cares he brought him home and tied i just am like horrified yeah right yeah it's it's terrible like and and he like thousands and thousands of people are looking for this little boy and so what's crazy too is in this article i was reading yakov german this guy i was telling you about who did all the surveillance he called a friend who he had been in touch with who was a famous psychic rabbi and that rabbi had come to the conclusion after consulting some sacred texts that the boy would be found in Kensington, the area of Brooklyn called Kensington, which is where the guy who took him lived, which is kind of crazy. I just wanted to, for you, the mystic, yeah. I wanted to bring out yeah. this spiritual psychic rabbi. So when he got home from work, he was completely panicking that everyone was looking for Libby. So he gave him a tuna sandwich that had a lethal cocktail of drugs, like antipsychotic muscle relaxer and painkillers. And um, it's probably whatever he had on hand. And then he smothered him. And then he dismembered his body. There was no sign of sexual assault. So I'm not going to get into all that, but he was trying to get rid of the body by dismembering it. Now, I have to say the cops moved pretty quickly on this. Like this kid went missing Monday night. They were busting down Aaron's door at 1.30 in the morning on Wednesday morning. That's like 36 hours that they like were able to track this guy down because of this guy, Yakov German, being like, I know who's got a store close to this area and he's got security cameras. Let's get the footage. And that was when they brought the cops in too. The cops like were helping them get all the footage. Um, I just don't get how you go from, well, I'll just casually to, I need to kill him. It's like, you wouldn't go to jail for that much. I'm sure the Jews would actually f be like, just happy to have like, their kid. Literally. I wrote what's crazy is that he had no apparent motive for taking this kid, like zero motive. Yeah. It's not like he yeah. is a creep. Maybe he does have crimes in the past that we just don't know about. Well, 
I'll get into it. No, it seems, you're right. It seems like a nervous thing, but it's like if he just released the boy. No, exactly. Exactly. So when the police got to his house, Libby's feet are in the freezer. And then the rest of his body was in a suitcase that he had dumped a few blocks away. So he obviously got a psych evaluation at Bellevue, uh, which called Aaron's mood neutral. Like his personality was practically blank, um, which I think is kind of creepy. He claims to have suffered a head injury as a child. And like every article that I read, everything I read was like his friends would always be like, yeah. And then he would show us the scar from his head injury. Like he said, after he had this injury, that the story constantly changed. Like sometimes it was that he fell off his bike. Sometimes it was that a car knocked him off his bike. All these different like scenarios. But he always said that he was never the same after this accident. So... He said he was embarrassed about hearing voices in his head, but that the voices didn't command him to do anything. So they didn't diagnose him with like straight up schizophrenia or anything, but he was diagnosed with an adjustment disorder. And I'll just read like per WebMD, what an adjustment disorder is defined as a short term condition that happens when you have great difficulty managing with or adjusting to a particular source of stress, such as a major life change loss or event. And then in 2013, this was actually changed from adjustment disorder to stress response syndrome. So he was also diagnosed with a personality disorder with schizoid features. And the report also noted that he spent most of his life alone online and made a lot of recordings of himself doing karaoke. Do they say what songs? Yeah. He liked a lot of pop, disco, rock, like stuff that was like popular, I think. So this just makes no sense. Oh yeah. Journey. I read that he liked Journey. I read it in one article. It seems like they got the vibe of like, um, you know, Courtney's answer of why. And she goes, why not? Like I get that vibe from him. His thing was just. Why did you do this? He literally said about like, why did you pick up Libby to begin with? And he was like, I thought I knew him. But people said that he had no ability to distinguish. He could tell you somebody he knew, but he couldn't tell you whether they were a friend of his or not. Like he just didn't. This clearly is a person with mental issues like that are maybe not as cut and dry explainable as like schizophrenia or voices or like psychotic violent tendencies. But if he has this adjustment disorder, like a stressful situation was at hand, which as you have taken a boy who everyone is looking for and he just freaked out and was like, got to, got to, got to get rid of it. Cause in theory, okay. The tying up is weird, but if he came home and untied him and was like, I found the boy, I found him last night. I kept him. I didn't know what was up. Right. He would have gotten away with it. Yeah. He, uh, it's the fear of getting, uh, it's really upsetting. But like also the fear of getting caught followed by like a plan that was completely incompetent to get rid of the body. Do you know what I mean? Like just blood everywhere. Like, like just it's crazy plan. Yeah. Um, And it's like, not that one murder is worse than another. It's like, they're all pretty upsetting and especially to the families in person, but it is so much harder to listen to like, no, I don't know. It just happened. Yeah. It is crazy. It's just and easier to digest when it's like, this is a psychopathic killer or someone cheated. Someone was angry. They have control. They're abusive. Okay. I got yeah. it. This is so much harder to digest. Cause it just, um, and I just think it's so sad that he went to the one person on the street. He thought he could trust. Like he could have gone up to a woman wearing like jeans and a t-shirt, but he's like, she's not part of my world. And he went up to the guy that's part of his world. And he was the one that, so 
uh, like, so he obviously has a team of lawyers. One of his lawyers quits because he's like, this crime is too heinous. Like I can't, his other two lawyers were very green. Like one of them had only had one homicide case and the other had only had six. And the judge had to scold them for openly talking about the trial on Facebook and for talking to the press too much. (laughs) So like he had a bad late legal team, but then they brought in another lawyer, this guy, Howard Greenberg, who was doing it pro bono and was much more experienced. But then he got in hot water when he said, look, everybody knows when blood relations have offspring, there can be genetic defects. There's inbreeding in that community of the Hasidic community, which I'm like, is there? I didn't know that. I didn't think that was a thing, like marrying your cousin or whatever, but. um, Yeah, but like in places like Muncie or whatever, if it's a small community, you're going to fuck a cousin. Like, I think that's just what happens. Well, he got in trouble for that, but you're not going to. (laughs) (laughs) So they were going for an insanity defense. I just don't think it's um, specific to that community. I just think if you're in a small ass area, you're more likely to fuck a cousin. I think that's where the, you know, Southern people um, stereotypes stereotypes come from. It's just like if you're in a town of 300 and you're not going to travel or go anywhere, you might fuck a family member. That's it. I don't yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, true. You're not wrong. So they were going to go for an insanity defense, but Aaron ended up pleading guilty for a sentence of 40 years to life, which the Kletsky family was fine with because they wanted to avoid a trial. Um, they did sue him for $100 million in civil court and... Levi Aaron will not be eligible for parole until 2051. And I don't think he'll probably ever see freedom. No, that was just such a highly publicized case. I don't think he'll ever be out. Um, His family was completely ostracized by the community and his sister, Sarah, who was suffering from schizophrenia actually ended up killing herself. So there was mental illness in the family for sure. This is a wild twist. Six years later in June of 2017, Aaron's brother, this killer's brother, Svi Aaron, who also lived in the house where Libby was murdered, was found dead, bound with duct tape, wrapped in a blanket and stuffed in a basement closet. So this is like wild. It happens in the same house. And a spokesperson for the medical examiner's office said the cause of death is undetermined and the manner of death is undetermined. An undetermined classification means that the medical examiner that has concluded the investigation and cannot rule with certainty after taking into account all the available information and any test results. So the investigation was just dropped. Like they can't determine cause of death. So he just, I Googled this. His death was reported in some major outlets. The follow-up is reported in one outlet that I found called the Brooklyn paper where they were like talking to other lawyers where who are unrelated. And some of the lawyers were like, this sounds like a cover up. The medical examiner always finds a cause of death. Like, well, it's also this thing. It's like, he's what you said, tied, gagged, taped, you know, like there's obviously foul play. He didn't, he didn't tape himself and tie himself up. So to not have any, invest like right. you can't just say there's no cause yeah. but it's clearly an outside cause right some say Did they it's check possible. under the tongue no. well some say it's possible he was tortured and like i guess some have compared it to the um case of Otto warmbiner whatever his name is when he went to north korea and they kept him remember the guy and then he died they were sending him back to the u.s and he died they were never able to determine his cause of death because he had been tortured for so long that it was just like various parts of his brain were just like de- de- decomposed like so I don't know. They were like, if this guy was tortured, he could have had a heart attack. There, but like a heart attack, you can tell in a medical exam. Well, also and to, nobody's covering this. Cause that's the problem with the medical examiner. And this is, I learned this from Dr. Michael Batten and some of his investigations. Cause people write to him to be like, 
fuck. So what yeah. happens is like, I remember one case where a sister of a victim was like, his wife did this, but because of the death certificate said natural causes, the police cannot investigate. And so Dr. Michael Baden had to come in, like prove that there was foul play. So then the investigation could be open and prove that it was his wife and it was, and she's like a murderer for money. Yeah. And so this might when there's like foul play or the cover up, it's like if the medical examiner said the death is fine, there's no foul play, then they cannot investigate. Yeah, that's what's crazy. So it's like because they couldn't determine this cause of death, there just was no investigation. Like, did they think this guy bound himself up and put himself in a closet? No, so, I guess they can't prove he didn't. So are there theories? Do people think it's like the Hasidic community just getting rid of this person? They thought or that, is it some people cops? said that they thought it might have been, you know, uh, yeah, retribution for what his brother did. But also people suggested that he could have mental illness. Like there were other people in the family with mental illness. I don't know if you're mentally ill that you bind yourself your legs with duct tape and throw yourself in a closet until you die. I don't really understand. Like, or if that had happened, it would have been starvation or whatever. Suffocation. Yeah. Yeah. So it just seems like a giant cover up. I mean, I just, and I think people are like, we're just not going to, because this isn't the police of the Hasidic. This is like the no. actual medical examiner. Yeah, and no, it's being, all New York jurisdiction. Out. Yeah, because it also might be like a New York thing where it's like, I remember this case. Fuck this guy. You know, like I could have. I mean, I don't yeah. know. It it does. It's scary. But like if you had a sibling who killed people, would you be like, I guess people have to kill me now. Like I get, I have to die also. I would change my last name and get the fuck yeah. out of Dodge. That's the thing. They all live in the same house where it happened. And obviously people like avoided that house. And it was like, they said people were like, you know, it was like a haunted house in the neighborhood. Yeah, like I'm sure the kids would ding dong ditch or whatever. Oof, it's really crazy. Like I, I could only find like one source on it. It's just wild. But anyway, um, it's just scary to think of that a medical examiner or someone that is sole purpose is to help the dead can so easily just go, nah. Well, they were saying this happens. Sometimes the medical examiner can't determine. And I was like, but in this case, that seems strange. Like it reminds me I understand if a body has been mummified or a body body has been burned beyond recognition where you can't like, you can't find ligature strangulation marks or whatever. I kind of understand that stuff, but this seems like it would have been a purpose. Yeah. It's crazy. It reminds me of, did you watch uh, no, like the drug scandal police investigator one? It was a story both happened in Massachusetts, but these two drug examiners for the state were just like fully falsifying. Oh, this was on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. Fully falsifying information. One was a drug addict and stealing the drugs. One was just trying to get promotions and was just like trying to get in with the prosecution Mm -hmm. and the cops. I mean, like I'll get like, they purposely requested her and be like, you know what we need. And she'd be like, got it. It wasn't testing shit. And so it's amazing that that case got blown up and we were able to see, but it is scary to think how many corrupt investigators, people with personal vendettas, whatever, and how they have the power to just say case shut. Yeah. It is pretty fucked to think about that. Yeah. And just like the New York post, like the New York times, all these outlets were covering the murder of Libby Kletsky. And you just would have assumed that they would also be as interested in his murderers, 
brother possibly being murdered. And this also does not bode well for Jewish stereotypes of Jews controlling everything. Because (laughs) if the Jews wanted him dead and now all the the papers and everyone's like, we're not talking about it. It's like, uh oh, this doesn't look good for stereotypes. (laughs) The Jews. The Illuminati covered up this murder. Yeah. Um, All right, guys, we've got a Another one of our trademark interviews. So let's get ready for our guest. We're so excited we got a chance to talk to this actor. He is so great. I mean, he is prolific. He has starred in Goodwill Hunting in a role that is unforgettable. He was in the groundbreaking HBO series Oz and is currently a recurring character on Narcos on Netflix. So guys, you're going to love him. Please stay tuned for our interview with Scott William Winters. Doom in The Lost Traveler, he's kind of like a jerk. How do you describe him? He really did not care for the community. No. The Romany community. (laughs) (laughs) When I think of Doom... Yeah, he's a total knucklehead with how he sees life, but you can still fall in love with knuckleheads, is my... Yeah. <laughs> well, he may... I mean, he was funny. That's the thing that's hard, is like, you kind of want to hate him, but then you are laughing at some of the things that he is bringing to the table. How often do you get asked what it's like working with your brother? Because we're going to ask it, but how often do people <laughs> ask you? Frequently, but way more so when Oz... I think was on the air. Right, right. Yeah, we kind of put it together like we were watching Lost Traveler and we didn't even really realize immediately that you guys were brothers. We yeah. just saw you were like, oh, this dude, we should have this Doom guy on our podcast. We were like, they're brothers. <laughs> like we didn't really realize. Yeah. yeah, I love working with Dean. And <clears throat> I mean, we've always been close friends. Uh, we're super different, but we, we've always been like really close. You know, a lot, of, a lot of times I think people who are different, even though the default, thought is probably that people who are alike become friends. But I kind of think, I don't know, kind of a jigsaw type thing. So we've been close and Dean was on Oz first, but he really wanted me on the show. And so Tom Fontana just brought me on, you know, just extreme kind of character. But it was really fun working with Dino on the show because you know, we both started acting just a little bit later than most. It wasn't like we grew up acting. We started in our 20s. What did you do before then? What did you think you guys were, what, what were you going to do? Dean was modeling and I rescued him from that. <laughs> when I started studying acting, I was working for New York, New England Telephone. It was called 9X. It's kind of like IBM. Yeah, I remember. So I wore a suit. I was like a suit for a little while. And so I was working, it was like a sales kind of systems marketing kind of job. And I was just dreadfully, dreadfully bored in my cubicle, like freaking out. So I could probably do sales, you know, if I wasn't doing acting, I could probably, cause I, I, I'm very super relational and I, I love people. Uh, but the creativity bug really got me. Yeah. So I did that before I started acting then. We both started working at bartending and doing various bar gigs in New York City while studying acting. So this is, I mean, we have to focus on SVU, but for (laughs) Oz, such an intense character, such intense scenes. What's it like on set when they act cut? Were you in character all the time? Would you laugh and be silly after? How does that work with such intense subject matter? Yeah. So many people ask that question. Yeah. (laughs) Well, because especially for your character, because there's like a voice and a different, there's just so much physicality difference too, that, yeah, yeah, it's impressive and 
And it's just so dark. I mean, so dark. it's just so, yeah. that show's wild. Yeah, and, and, and just as an aside, it's sad that we never, I mean, awards are like really at the end of the day, it's just tinfoil, doesn't mean much. But, but because we only did eight episodes a year, we were never up for the Emmys. Oh. And we had so many good actors on that show. I mean, some of the best. That's crazy. In the biz. And it was J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons. And, you know, and obviously Chris Maloney and Harold Pirino. And we all felt super grateful to be shooting a show in Manhattan with Tom Fontana, who just had such a good reputation. And it's such a it's such a top down kind of phenomenon. You know, like it was a happy, happy set. You couldn't be a diva on that set, which was great, you know, because Fontana had just worked with so many people and was partners with Barry Levinson. And he started a lot of really, you know, just very super famous people. And so he just didn't really tolerate that kind of odd paradigm. So, yeah, we were always messing around. And for me personally, because I played an intense character, it was really fun to just I like have an on and off switch for it, you know? And then, so how was it working on SVU? Did you always have a great time there? Was it similar vibes or like? Different vibes, good vibes, but just different. That might be because of the number of people in the cast. I don't know. Oz was like this very populist kind of a show. The cast was huge. And there was this kind of just level playing field whether you were a guest star or a series reg and i think just because of the nature uh, the form of svu it was first of all you know 20 seasons running or wh whatever so it was just different but uh, you know marishka and chris and just like everybody i worked with on that show you know they're all wonderful people and sometimes subject matter plays a part and I think that there was just something so gangster about Oz because everybody's like walking around, like dressed as an inmate. But I had a great time on SVU. I mean, I loved the time. I, I did a couple SVUs. I did the. Um, we know them if you want us to tell you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then they should really bring my character back. So if you want to tell your, yes. your entire fan base to just have. Yes. You should come back, you know? Hashtag bring back doom. Bring back doom. <laughs> yeah, you gotta, I want you and Rollins to have a romantic moment. Do you feel like that would ever happen for you I guys? I thought that they might write that in, but she, uh, she's a little superior to doom. I, you know, it could happen. <laughs> I just, I, I thought that they might want it to go that way, but they didn't. So, yeah, because one of the episodes you're in, you're like, oh, I'm going to go say hi. And then she turns around and she's like eight months pregnant. Right. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. What do you get recognized the most from? Probably Goodwill Hunting. I was going to say <laughs> you those those scenes that you're in are like the most scenes, the scenes for Will Hunting that my friends and I like quote all the time. Like my boy's wicked smart. Like, I just can't believe you're that you're that guy. Now, I wanted to ask you. That you had a pretty luxurious ponytail in that movie. Was that a wig? Was that your real hair? Oh no, that was my real hair. Oh my god. I gosh. wish I could show you a picture of my hair right now from the day on Oz when I got executed, because it was down to my waist. Wow. It was literally down to my waist. Yeah. I, I like I like long hair, but I think we need to get a haircut now. But uh yeah, that was my real ponytail. <laughs> 
a real ponytail. Yeah. Your character in that scene from Will Hunting is like those the iconic scenes. Yeah, I know. And and it, I'm so flattered that I got to be in that because they use that scene in like acting classes. Oh and, yeah. And I've seen it at like sporting events. I'm like, no way, you know. Yeah. And then that just that line, how do you like them apples that Matt says to me? I mean, that just was like huge. I mean, that's like a greeting card kind of a line. Yeah. You've been in so many yeah. things. Uh, what do you do when you are not acting? I do prison ministry at like a real prison. Oh, wow. Like every week for, for a few years now. And I have such a heart for prisoners. I'm like an artist spokesperson for prison fellowship. Um, so I'll just go and speak at different prisons. But then here in LA, I go to a prison now since COVID, like it's it's been held up, but I've done it for a year. I go Wednesday mornings and man, I just love these guys so much. Like the stories, they rip, rip, rip your heart out. You know, um, so, so many people just defined by the worst moment in their life, you know, just right. a split second, like trying to feed my kids or. I had so much fear and then boom, they're in prison, separated from their wife and five children. Sadly, we just live in a culture that really does so much stigmatizing. I don't think it's intentional, but there's like these stigmas with homeless people, with, you know, prisoners. You know, we, we had a foster child that we fostered for about a year and a half. And, you know, same thing. There's like 40,000 foster children in the yeah. foster care system in Los Angeles. So I would just encourage people um, to, to check out, you know, prison fellowship, you know, for us to do something like that, to do prison ministry, my, my wife has worked with underage girls who are sex trafficked, um, extensively, but prison fellowship is like super buttoned up, you know, it's a legit organization. Oh, oh God, that wow. was thrilling. Oh my gosh. I, you guys can't see him, but he I looks like, exactly like his brother. He's just blonde Dean Winters. Which I don't see in his work. Like I never yeah. actually saw they looked alike. That's, we, in I, the episode, I did not think that's Dean, that's Dean Winters' until brother. Until we started doing research, I had no idea they were truly related, which is shocking because we are such big fans. Yeah. <laughs> we had no idea. Right. But the more I could not, I couldn't stop. Yeah. I also am just... I'm very pleased. I'm just like so happy with someone that their passion is to help people and yeah. they do it. And so humble about it. The fact that we talked about prisoners, crime cops the whole time and not until the end. Yeah. Did he kind See, of like, mention this? Thing I'm that he sort does. of a hero. Uh, I spend a lot of time talking to prisoners. It's like amazing. I'll do one soup kitchen. I'll talk about it for three weeks. <laughs> like, I don't understand. He's been doing this for over a decade. And I didn't mention this, but I wanted to say, hire people that have gone to prison. Yeah. You know, um, the place where I buy wheat or when I lived in West Hollywood, that dispensary was known for hiring felt like ex cons and people would complain that the weed was too expensive there. And I'd go, I think it's worth it because, yeah. you know, it is so hard to get jobs and start your life over. And especially with shows like Orange is the New Black, you learn how hard it is to be paroled and all the fees you yeah, pay and you have recidivism. to pay stuff. And, and it's just you're set up to fail and also just to be judged on, like he said, you don't know where people are coming from. You don't know what happened to yeah. those children. You don't know if they were starving. I'm really into that message. Yeah. Of seeing beyond people's 
faults. I don't know. Well, that's a huge, well, yeah. Seeing somebody beyond the split decision they made in the worst moment of their life. Like he said, you know, I think that that's great. That's definitely a, what we learned in this episode. What else did we learn? Cause I, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't never went to jail for a long time or prison, but I did get arrested a bunch and, it would suck if people only saw me as the 20 year old who was like drunk and going to jail yeah. forever, you know, or kept bringing it back. Right. And I'm lucky that my job is just talking. Um, what else did we learn about the episode post postmortem style? Yeah. Let's do this postmortem. Um, yeah. Just because someone else is an Orthodox Jew and you're an Orthodox Jew does not mean they're good. <laughs> is that weird? Yeah. I mean, imagine if I just went up to like other white women. Yeah, no. for help. No. Not 50%. A lot of them are of terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I don't know. I guess it's like everybody in every city can decide when to let their kids walk alone. But it's like so sad in both of these, in the real story and the episode that this is like what happened from kids walking alone. Yeah. Also, and, if teen girls show up with flowers all the time, they're guilty. Yeah. If, they, if they're giving you clues yeah. constantly. If one of them is very gorgeous and then today is one of the biggest stars in the world and has like millions and millions of Instagram followers, she's up to something, you know? Yeah. Lily Reinhardt, you're a murdering bitch. (laughs) Well, I also, and, um, you know, when we talk about people's biases and racism and all that and how it affects everyone's daily lives where it's like, you know, his off, this officer didn't care for this culture of people. And so that person's police work is going to be worse. They're not going to care as much Mm -hmm. And it affects people's lives, you know? And when you think about racism, when it's like, if your teacher's racist and then the person at the bank and then the yeah. cop and then this, and it's like, it's just such a bigger issue. And so when people say like, Oh, get over it or like, stop complaining or it can't be anywhere. It's like, it's truly destroying people's lives. Yeah. It's destroying people's lives when police officers have biases towards specific cultures and don't want to help people yeah. and how hard we all have to work no matter what our job is to um, work on those biases. So we're, not pieces of shit. I mean, I don't know how to say it. So we're not negatively impacting people's lives on serious, in serious ways. And they were wrong. I mean, in the end, it was like the most clean cut white bread girls that were the criminals, you know, in the episode. So it's like, do your police work. And yeah, I'm not a detective, but I think that's one of the things where you can't go in deciding, you know, what the truth is, because then your research and investigation is going to try to lead you one way or you're going to ignore sure. certain facts or evidence um, because you're not being open. So if any police are listening, I have some, <laughs> I have some tips <laughs> from an, uh, I feel like um, Mike Pence with Kamala being like, well, I, I'm going to tell you about prosecution when she's like, <laughs> don't fucking tell me how to do my job. Um, I just think it's important for all of us to like realize maybe if we were raised to hate an ethnic group, maybe to stop doing that. Yeah. For sure. Um, don't live off the green line. Don't take the J. Like oh, if your God. kid's going to go to a school, make sure it's not off the J train. Yeah. Make sure they don't have to transfer. I mean, kids, city kids are crazy to me. Like they so, totally are. They're so cool. I babysat some boy who would go to ballet on his own. He was just like living the dream. And I, I can't. I can't imagine walking home in the suburbs was like, you know, too much for me. I These city kids just zip zapping around. I don't yeah. get it. They're mature, but it's dangerous. I don't know. I'm not a parent. <laughs> they grow up a parent. Really when are you going to let Rosie go to school on her own? I don't know. I mean, her elementary school is walking distance from our house, but I still, I don't know. It's not, we don't live so city. We, I don't know. We don't live so urban, but anyone can scoop anyone up in a van. I don't know. I really have to, I can't blame anyone who's let their kid walk. I can't, I just have to. You have to do what you think is right and what your kid's ready for. But I don't know. Also, who could have guessed the teen girls were going to grab? You know what I mean? That's like the sure. last, you know, you you are scared of all these other 
yeah. things, but I don't think on their parents' mind, we're like, we're scared of the two junior high right. kids. And in the real life story, it's like this poor kid did go up to somebody that was, his parents taught him to go up to someone that's like part of your community. And it just was, unfortunately. Also, it's better to be caught and go to jail for a little bit than to kill someone that might have seen you and might tell on you. And then you go to jail and then you, and go, to then jail you go to jail forever. Yeah. You don't need to murder a kid because you like took them to a wedding upstate. Like yeah. you'll go to jail for a couple of years for kidnapping. Like Get a good lawyer. Yeah. Maybe the parents won't even press charges because they're happy to see their yeah. kid. Do not kill someone just because they saw you do a crime. That fear is not real. You're going to get, get caught. in trouble. Yeah. Get in trouble for a minor crime. If you were dumb enough to get seen, you're going to get caught. It's just horrific. I think about this all the time. I'm like, what if I'm in the wrong place and I witness a crime? They're going to kill you, Lisa. I don't want that. I don't either. We have a friend. She might be a liar, though. I don't know. She's she's nutty. But she told me that she knew someone who's like a cool girl, but who was in the Russian mob. And she did get shot in the face eventually. What? Wow. I know this person or just. Yeah. Oh, wow. Can't wait for you to tell me off mic who that is. <laughs> oh, also, if your kid has special needs um, or different, a- differently abled, learns different, don't lock them in the basement. Don't boo Radley your children. Yeah. Don't, you know, uh, don't boo Radley your children. Don't do it. Or Hugo for, you know, the Simpsons reference, if that helps anybody. <laughs> but yeah, don't chain your kids up in a in a room to think that that will never yeah. make anyone's life better not, or easier. Right. And um, make sure they know what jizzing is. So one girl doesn't make them jizz and then they're ready to go to jail forever. <laughs> I don't know how that is. Like, make sure if you have an adult kid that might be a vert, get their dick sucked so they're not just like, well, I'll do anything for this teen murdering seductress. <laughs> These are real lessons in case you happen to stumble so into he, this episode of Law and Order. Or it, that he knows what jizzing is because he goes, it felt funny. I liked it. No clue what it is. Yeah. Don't lock your kid in a basement yeah, and don't tell them how their dick him works. Some anatomy and some basic sexual functions. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And don't give him a Chris Kirkpatrick haircut. <laughs> Okay. I think on, on that note, we're going to wrap it up. And now, as always, we're going to do our What Would Sister Peg Do segment where we give you guys resources or charities or organizations that we wanted to highlight that have to do with what the episode covered. So today, obviously, um, we covered an episode that was um, based around the Romani community. I think there's a lot of misinformation out there and a lot of, um, or maybe no information. Maybe you didn't even know really that the Romani community existed. So we wanted you to head to our show notes for this very informative Daily Beast article that just sort of gives you a little bit of the history of the Romani and what their struggles are like. We also really wanted to highlight Scott's program that he volunteers with called Prison Fellowship, and that's prisonfellowship.org. And they work with transforming the lives of prisoners, caring for children and families of um, incarcerated people, and also advocating for justice that restores. Um, And they do a lot of great work. And so if you want to volunteer or donate, that's prisonfellowship.org. And next week, we will be covering the episode Slaves from season one, episode 22. Going back to the beginning, folks. So make sure to tune in via Hulu or Peacock or wherever you watch your SVU episodes. And if you enjoyed the pod, you know, throw us some stars, baby, like it's Mario. And, you know, subscribe to us and give us attention. And if you didn't like the podcast, shut your fucking mouth. And (laughs) we will see you next week. 
That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmesseduppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at That's Messed Up Pod and on Twitter at Messed Up Pod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer and fellow SVU superfan, Hannah Kyle Creighton. Thank you to our heroes, Stephen Ray Morris and Annalise Nelson, our engineers. To Henry Kapersky, musical extraordinaire for our theme song. To our artistic queen, Carly Jean Andrews, for all of our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dun-dun! Dun-dun.